Disclosure. The information in this podcast is educational and general in nature and does not take into consideration the listener's personal circumstances. Therefore, any and all information presented in this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for specific, individualized financial, legal, or tax advice. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making any decision. What's up, everyone? Ben Keedy again with the Wealth Crypto Podcast. Today's guest is a financial advisor. His name is Zechariah Schaefer. Him and I recently connected on LinkedIn because he commented on one of my posts about crypto. And after checking him out, we uh, agreed to do a podcast together. So Zechariah's practice is unique in that he is planning only. He doesn't take any fees from asset management. It's all planning. And his practice is also unique in the sense that a lot of his clients are very heavily invested into crypto, meaning they have 50, 60, 70% of their net worth and their actual assets tied up in crypto. So he brings an interesting perspective as a financial advisor and fiduciary in helping manage his client's risk, but also still being an advocate for the crypto space. So super excited for this conversation. I hope you guys enjoy it. Let's get into it. Boom. And we're live. Zechariah, how you doing, man? I am good. Glad to be here. It's an honor. Yeah, yeah, no, I appreciate you uh, responding favorably on LinkedIn. It's always nice when uh, when people are open to your bullshit. But, um, well, it's always nice when someone reaches out to me on LinkedIn and isn't trying to supply me with 50,000 high quality leads in the next three minutes. I, so, could, do, uh, <laughs> I could do that for my day job, though. So, <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's good to connect. Um, yeah, I mean, the point really today is just to kind of talk a little bit about crypto and how it influences your practice. So maybe just start with a little bit about you and what you do, and we can go from there. Yeah, perfect. Um, so to introduce myself to all of y'all that are listening, my name is Zachariah Schaefer. I run Ascent Personal Finance, and uh, it's a registered investment advisory firm specifically advice only. So I don't manage investments. I just provide advice primarily on a subscription basis to uh, high-performing Gen Z millennials who are crypto investors, ideally also employed in STEM or healthcare. Um, okay. And yes, that's a, it's yeah, a niche yeah. within the niche, if yeah, you will. <laughs> um, and the reason for that is that, you know, we, we might get into this later, but I have a whole big story with crypto getting into it early learning about the the ups and downs emotionally as well as uh, you know monetarily with yeah. investing. Um, and then I'm really well-versed just in kind of the more traditional financial planning needs that STEM and healthcare professionals need, like student loans, like equity comp, like negotiating their contracts, things sure. like that. Okay. Um, so naturally, you know, when I ask myself, who am I going to provide the most value to? It's those people that are really narrow in that niche. Yep. Yep. Okay. And yep. I mean, how's that been going for you? Has, is niche working out pretty good so far? Yeah, it's going really well. Um, so I started the firm in December of 2020, and I've spent the last four months studying for the CFP, which I passed. Oh, that's the right. Congrats. Very yeah. excited yeah. about that. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and then I've taken probably two or three months off in between. Okay. And right now I'm at uh, 13 clients with about a six household waiting list. And the reason for that is that I have been uh, not accepting new clients so that I could serve the current ones well 
and also, you know, do the part-time kind of full-time job of studying for the DFP. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 So it's going really well. Yeah. No. Um, getting that CFP out of the way must be just a huge relief for you. <laughs> it is a huge relief. I, uh, I almost didn't believe it when I passed, you know, I, yeah. I didn't believe my eyes. And then I checked the email that I got 10 minutes later just to make sure that I, uh, my eyes weren't tricking me. Yeah. 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 No, I, I mean, at one point, a quick aside, I was an advisor and I remember taking my series 65 and seven and, um, <laughs> it was instantaneous, but you go through and you're just in this like old computer room. This, in this case, it was in San Francisco and you hit submit and you're just like, please. Please. Yep. <laughs> but I mean, those tests are nowhere near as hard as uh, the CFP. So I can't even imagine. Same process, same process. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, well, cool, man. I'm glad to hear it's going well. So maybe let's just start like you kind of touched on it. So what got into crypto? Like when did you hear about it? What's the story? Where, where did all this begin? Yeah. So it, it's a little bit of a funny story. Um, I was in 10th grade in my first period Spanish class and just bored out of my mind. And I was browsing Reddit because uh, my school had iPads and I saw as all these do. people, <laughs> as people do, classic, <laughs> yes. And I saw all these people who were super excited about this like magic internet money stuff. Yeah. And I was like, you know, that sounds pretty cool. I'd kind of like some. Looked it up. Turns out it's called Bitcoin. Turns out it's only 500 bucks. It's uh, I think it was 2014 when this happened. Yeah. And that was about the extent of the research I did. Yeah. And then yeah. I was like, mom, I'm not 18 yet. So obviously I, you know, I can't just open an account. Can I buy some? She said, no, it went to 250. I was, <laughs> you know, thank you, mom. I'm glad that I didn't. And then, you know, here we are now. And yeah, of course yeah. I would have bought in 2014. Um, but yeah. that to say, you know, I discovered it in 2014, fast forward, turn 18. And for the years between 10th grade and uh, when I turned 18, you know, I've been studying blockchain technology, Mm-hmm. I have been getting really, uh, you know, in depth with the Ethereum community and just right. kind of fascinated by this tech. Yeah. Um, and so when I turned 18, I basically took my whole life savings and then all of my earnings, which were not much from my lifeguard job, and we're yeah. just pouring them into Ether. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, you know, my first buy in 2017 for, for Ether, I think it was like $11 or $12. Oh, yeah. And... I'm a senior in high school and, you know, February, March, April, May, it's just going up 1% a day or more. Yeah. And I'm making more in the, you know, span of when, when I turn it back on during my four hour lifeguard shift than yeah. I get paid in the whole month at my job. Yeah. Um, and so that was my first exposure to kind of the, you know, emotional euphoria that crypto investing <laughs> during the, uh, the boom cycles can be. Yeah. I think and so, <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I finished high school, fast forward, I'm in college, freshman year, uh, and BitConnect happens. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, BitConnect imploded and the market panicked and a bunch of other things happened in the bubble first. And at that point, you know, my, let's say 10 ish grand of life savings had turned into just about $150,000. And yeah. I'm a freshman in college, no idea how to manage this money, severely uh, mismanaging it. In fact, yeah. not saving for taxes, day trading, buying stupid stuff, you yeah. know, things that would happen, of course, when you give a freshman in college a bunch of money. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then it crashes. And not only am I panicking and not only am I seeing tens of thousands of dollars slip through my fingers, literally, 
but also I have a tax bill coming due because yeah. I was an idiot and I was trading the whole time in oh, 2017. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I had to pay taxes on trading yeah. at, you know, around $150,000 because that was, you know, peak December, 2017. But then I didn't sell it all. I didn't prepare it all. And yeah. now in March, 2018, I'm having to sell, it was like a third of my stack to yeah. pay this tax bill. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So that was my intro to crypto. And yeah. <laughs> this is all during the year of studying financial planning, studying, you know, sound principles to manage your money. Sure. Yeah. Uh, and, um, you know, fast forward, I, I stayed invested in crypto. It didn't end up paying for my college, but uh, I learned an extremely valuable lesson about sure. just the emotional side of it. Yeah. And, then, you know, during college, working at several other firms, learned about, you know, the sound mathematically supported financial principles yeah. uh, that actually, you know, are timeless and that help people to manage their money well. And so now I marry those two with my yeah. clients and yeah, help them manage that. Yeah, yeah, no, that's, I mean, that's definitely an interesting story. And I guess at least you came out relatively unscathed, right? Like, you know, you learned a lesson, seems you still came out positive, but a lot of people, and I honestly, this is kind of the sad part of what's kind of going on the last six months to a year is just mm-hmm. people are kind of realizing that, you know, um, some of these things are not what they told you to be. And it's tough yeah. when it's, you know, things like Luna or Celsius, which are, you know, top 10, top 15 projects that went belly up, you know? So it's, mm-hmm. and I guess, you know, so like when I kind of think about this too, like, you see all these people online, right? Just kind of hawking crypto trades, follow me. It's easy, all this, da, 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 da. Yep. And then people get caught up in 10, 15, 20% yields, but they don't have that sort of like traditional financial acumen to understand kind of like 20% yield. What are you doing? You know, like how are you getting a 20% yield, right? Exactly. Um, yep. But yeah, I guess that's kind of a rambling way to say, like, I mean, at least you came out of it relatively unscathed when other people are, um, you know, hurting right now. Right. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was blessed to have it, uh, pay for my tuition for my college and I graduated yeah. with very minimal debt. Um, and then I, I had these huge life lessons, oh, for uh, sure. which now are so helpful when I'm able to talk my clients through it. Uh, for example, one of my clients, really great guy, uh, in his senior year of a master's degree, I won't say which, um, but uh, he had about $200,000 or sorry, he's in his junior. He had about $200,000 in crypto about a year ago. And that was the money he needed all of it for his living expenses and for his degree. And when he hired me, the first thing that we did was actually, unfortunately, because I mean, I I enjoy being invested, but unfortunately we had to sell it all. And that was a whole emotional experience and big step for him to take because it's so hard for someone to sell something when it's made them, you know, relatively wealthy compared to when they started investing. Sure. Well, well and he needed all of it though, is what you're saying. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And so, you know, so much of the advice that I gave to these clients, it's, it's, it's never actually about what crypto to buy or sell or when to buy or sell it, but it's about the risk management. It's about tangibly integrating their crypto into their holistic financial plan. Um, you know, the custody protocols, security practices, and other stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Things that people aren't, uh, things people aren't educated about. You know, if you have someone who owns a starter home, confident maintaining that starter property, paying the taxes on it, and then instantly the shed in their backyard turns into a skyscraper, they're not going to know what to do. They're not going to yeah. manage that well. 
especially yeah. if it's a skyscraper with no foundation at all. And that, that's yeah. kind of like what it is investing in crypto for some of these people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'll admit it's been kind of a learning curve for me too. Like, I mean, I got into it in 2000, fall 2017, kind of in that first real big blow off. Um, yeah. But, you know, I mean, there's so much to learn. I think that's kind of what turns people off a little bit is like, you know, what is a wallet even for a lot of people? It's like, what are you talking about? Like, what, are you talking about an account or what, like a digital wallet? What are you talking about? Um, exactly. But then, yeah, you get into like, a hard and cold storage and like what type of currency are you invested in? Like, is it a currency or you know, like there, there's so many things. And I think it turns off people, but the flip side of that is people get emotional. You know, my buddy <laughs> said to do this, he made X, Y, Z percent. And you know, yep. if, if you're lucky, hopefully a lot of people are and you make some money, but then where, where is that risk management? Right. Like how do you, right. How do you actually not get burned? <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that's the thing. I mean, you basically have to assume that my take on it is you basically have to assume that uh, it's going to go to zero. And if it goes to zero and your financial plan is destroyed, then you're good. Yeah. Um, and some people, you know, would say that's a little extreme and it probably is, you know, you could probably say, assume a negative 80% decline in the bus cycles. Yeah. Um, but it is so speculative. And a new crypto project could come along and completely replace the one that's, you know, the sweetheart right now. And that's yeah. just the nature of it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, so I had a podcast earlier today and I mentioned this there too. So people who are listening, forgive me. Um, but it's kind of like the nineties, right? Like there were so many like hot precisely internet stocks or businesses or that are coming out and, you know, like what, probably at least 90% of them failed. So, Oh yeah. I kind of feel like, yep that's exactly where crypto is right now. Um, I think and not only, yeah. Yeah. I was just going to finish. No. I think we're definitely in a big corner. The next year to 18 months will probably be a big washout period. And we'll, we'll actually see who's the longer term, more viable projects are going to be. Um, so. Yeah. And uh, the, the longer term, more viable projects, just like in the nineties, I think, it'll take years for them to recover from, you know, whatever sort of bubble happens or doesn't happen yeah. uh, to get back to their highs. Kind of like, you know, pets.com never recovered. Yeah. And a whole bunch of them like pets.com didn't. Amazon, one of the biggest companies in the world right now, it took investors 10 to 15 years to oh, yeah. recover their investment <laughs> just yeah. to break even, not even to start making money. Yeah. And Amazon was the sweetheart pick then too. And it had real utility and it ended up falling through on that. And it's still took 10 to 15 years. Yeah. Yeah. Shoot. I mean, I remember in college, like all I used Amazon for was textbooks and now they do everything. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> everything. Yep. Um, well, let's see. So uh, tell me, I guess a little bit about like how, like how it plays into your planning process. So like, you're actively kind of trying to find people who are interested in crypto. What, what does it look like for you when you're going through a plan and kind of evaluating a situation, particularly with, I would assume a lot of these people have a fairly significant slug in digital assets. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I'll just use an example of, you know, some clients who I started working with about a year ago. Um, and they're both in their 30s, with the exception of their crypto, 
they're probably a, a pretty average successful thirties couple. Yeah. Um, you know, a couple hundred thousand in investable assets, a couple hundred thousand in their home equity, yeah. uh, paid off cars and a fifty thousand dollars in household income. Yeah. Decent and the thing is, is that well. right. It's yeah. decent. Yeah. And the thing is, my man started investing in ether when it was 87 cents. Oh, geez. And <laughs> so they, they have millions in crypto and they're still living. They were still living like they were just out of college and struggling. And so the That's first thing that we did, that's a good account it, right there. <laughs> it, it is, but also um, one of the biggest ways that I had a value later on was just giving them permission to spend some of their money. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, the first thing that we did was of course a data gather, a very in-depth data gather. And then, um, you know, quantitative, but also qualitative focusing sure. on what they really want to do with their lives yeah. um, and what keeps them up at night. Yeah. And for them, you know, they had never made the psychological shift of broke college kid, broke recent grad to uh, financially pretty successful, pretty set 30s couple. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they were still uh, really being careful about their, their vacations, their things like that. Um, and so, you know, once we gathered all the data and the first thing that we did was basically give them the steps of what's going to have the most tangible impact on their financial trajectory, um, which sometimes that means taking people from a path to pretty much certain failure to now it's a, you know, you got to save more, you got to do whatever else it is, uh, to write the boat. But for them, it was basically saying, look, you are going to shoot so far past your target and you're feeling so maybe suffocated right now because you feel like you can't do all the things you want to do. Let's have you spend more. Let's have you travel more. Um, and then let's sell some of this crypto. But yeah. the thing is, you know, if your crypto goes to zero, by the time you're 65, you're going to be set anyway for the lifestyle that you want. Yeah. And then that, that was kind of the, so, you know, it was the traditional financial planning conversation, but then the conversation focused on crypto was how can we make sure that this crypto is stored properly. How can we make sure that their estate planning situation is properly in place? Because they have no estate plan. If uh, if the husband died, it would be locked on the blockchain forever. Um, so, and, which is tragic. Oh well, yeah, yeah obviously. So I'm I'm curious. Um, how uh, how did you advise in that situation? Like with the estate plan, particularly. Like how did you make? How, how did you safeguard those assets in the event that? something were to happen to either spouse. Yeah. So for them, for the estate plan, um, what I did was I referred them to a crypto estate planning attorney specialist that I work with. Okay. Um, and he does crypto business law and then also crypto specific estate planning. Yeah. Um, okay. And then the other thing that we did was basically just a really simple, you know, basically note to each other on how to access it. Um, and so yeah. if he were to die, then she would take the contents of this note and then her and I would work together. I would never have you know any access to the private keys or anything like that, but we would work yeah. together and she would be able to access it all. And at that point, you know, we'd, we'd probably just put it in the market. She's not the crypto enthusiast. He is. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. But so that was the estate planning that aside from, you know, the lawyer doing all the, the wills and that type sure, of thing. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. No, that's, um, I mean, that's kind of the double-edged sword of crypto, right? Like it's so libertarian-esque that like you kind of live and die by the sword and you hear these stories about people losing their keys and it's like, oh, geez, like 
Right. That's a tough one. It is. Yeah. It's uh, it's really unfortunate. Yeah. Yeah. I would say so. I there was you may have heard this story too, but there's I think this guy like in Denmark or the like Netherlands or something about um his hard drive had gotten thrown out and he alleges that there's, you know, thousands of bitcoins on there or something. And he like mm-hmm. tried to offer it up to a government just like, hey, can I please just go like sift around through the trash trying to find this hard drive? I, I don't yep. know what ever happened with that, but um, I don't know either. Um, but I, I think that it was in some dump in one of those European countries. Yeah. And several years ago, it was worth, I think, like 11 million or something. Yeah. Uh, so now it's it's got to be more. Yeah. Jeez. Um, well, anyway, okay. So, I mean, that's interesting about the advice side of things. So with, um, this is kind of an interesting point. So it sounds like one spouse is much better or more comfortable with the crypto side of things. And then the other one is, I guess, aware that they have it, but might not be um, involved. In the right. Industry. Yeah. Right. And I mean, that was a, another huge part of the planning conversation um, where no changes were made, but we took them from being on completely different pages to being on the same page. Yeah. And, you know, she was really anxious because she's a pretty risk averse person. Oh, it, it always works like that. Yeah. Because they're just numbers on a screen to him. But the thing is, it was like 75% of their net worth. Yeah. <laughs> and what ended up happening is that they, they actually didn't really sell that much crypto. So it was still probably 60, 65%. Um, but, we kind of met in the middle where I showed her, you know, what's going to happen if crypto does go to zero and how they still would be completely fine. Yeah. Um, and then for him kind of being the mediator in that conversation so that he can understand where she's coming from and why it may be concerning to her sure. um, or why it may be, you know, causing anxiety. Yeah. 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 So in that scenario, did you like, you didn't just sell and go to cash. I assume you redistributed that into more traditional kind of asset classes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So they already had their cash, their short-term liquidity needs uh, were completely met. Um, in fact, they were uh, they had too much cash. So we ended up taking some of the cash they had in hand and then investing that. Um, or I helped them invest that with the solution that I use because yep. I don't manage investments. And then um, with the crypto that they sold, yeah, they just invested it uh, in the market pretty much. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. So... Um... Real quick, well, what are you using to do your investing if you're not uh, actually touching those funds yourself or using a TAM? So, no, I'm not. Um, I don't do any investment management at all in my practice. No TAM, no yeah. custodians, no nothing. It's just advice only. Okay. Um, and the way that works is it really comes down to what the client wants. So for some of these clients who are super hands-on, um, they manage their own brokerage account or, or whatever yeah. the account is completely by themselves. I'll take a look at it every so often. I offer, you know, investment direction, but not management. Yeah. Um, and then for others who they're a little less comfortable with it, or they don't really know, you know, how investing works, if you will, yeah. obviously we yeah. explain that to them, but they still don't want to do it themselves. Yeah. And so I just set them up with whatever robo advisor is going to be best suited for them. Okay. Um, Okay, yeah. so just look like a better man or even something through Schwab or Morgan Stanley, like whatever robust. Yeah, usually uh, Betterman or Vanguard Digital Advisor. I don't yeah. love Schwab Intelligent Portfolios just because yeah. they do tend to have a higher cash position, which actually they were the, uh, what's the word? They lost a lawsuit about that. Um, 
because they Maybe. probably shouldn't have been having such big passages. Yeah, you can't uh, be charging fees on cash, right? <laughs> well, I think what they were doing is they were doing, uh, they were taking the cash and then lending it out overnight, which is legal. Oh, but the thing yeah. is, there's a big conflict of interest in there if you purposely have your robo advisor have a bigger cash position so that you can do that. Because, yeah. you know, it's kind of, it's the robo advisors, quote unquote, free, but then it's invested in Schwab funds, which is fine. I get that. I assume they would do that. But then also, you know, quote unquote free, but then they're taking this big cash tranche and then making money on it. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. Weird little spot for sure. Um, okay. Yeah. Um, so you kind of mentioned earlier about uh, just like how to think about crypto. You touched on like mm-hmm. how and when to store things. Like how do you, uh, in those, like how, how do you think about like safeguarding client assets is the end all be all for safety just cold storage like locked in a safe somewhere or how do you approach that so for the clients that are up into you know the millions with their crypto yeah um what i'll do actually is and a lot of the things that i do you know i'm not the one getting into the end zone i'm the quarterback or maybe just like the sideline coach yeah um but so what I'll do actually is when it gets into like, you know, the much more significant figures, I'll refer them to usually a custody specialist, maybe a CASA or maybe one of the others. So far, I've just done CASA um, so that they could even have multi-sig set up where, you know, they have their key, CASA has a key, and there's another key in a vault somewhere. And all three have to be there for the crypto to be accessed. And so that's, you know, if, if they have just like a whole bunch of crypto, they don't want to touch for years. Um but I think it really depends on what the client wants. You know, once you get into the much bigger figures, multi-sig or at the very least several cold wallets in, you know, a couple different places and the, ideally the seed string memorized in your head as well uh, is the very least that you should do. But then, you know, if it's someone who's investing like 10 grand a week in Ether, then even if they have zero right now, might as well just get them set up with that system in the first place. Yeah. 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 Um... Interesting. So, so with these higher dollar values, like you, you do like, um, well, so cost is actually a new one for me. I'll have to look into that. So that, that basically you said three keys have to be used to access it. Well, so, um, basically, so, so the multi-sig, the easiest way to think about it is simply three parts and you have to have all three parts or two of the three parts there for it to work for you to be able to sign the transactions. Um, and so CASA is just one of the, like you could manage that all by yourself, or you could use a management solution and they'll charge you a fee, which yeah. for some people, for most people, unless they're, you know, extremely techie, uh, then usually just makes sense for them to just, just pay it. Yeah. Yeah. I could see once you're getting into the millions of dollars, just pay the fee to make sure that it's all good. Right. I mean, it's just, yeah. um, like when you think about forgetting your passwords, when you think about the vulnerability of uh, two-factor authentication, especially when it's texting, phishing attacks, there's just so many ways for crypto, you know, to be lost or stolen. Um, and when it's such a significant sum of money, I think it's worth it to pay for good security. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And sometimes well, that's part of what I'm doing. I'm helping them realize, hey, I need to pay for security. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, so it sounds like ultimately when it's any sort of sum of value, you're really just pushing them towards cold storage, whether you do it yourself or 
you know, you, you pay a third party to do it. Right. Yeah. Yep. Because you know, the, the, the saying goes, and it's pretty much held its truth that not your, uh, not your keys, not your crypto. Yeah. And so, you know, when you have your crypto on Coinbase, if I remember correctly, and if I was just about to bring that up, uh, if Coinbase goes through bankruptcy, as yep. far as I know, your crypto are subject to their creditors. That's insane. Like, can you imagine that? Oh, yeah. I can't be, fathom that. It'd be nuts if Schwab went through bankruptcy and then they just right. siphoned off your 401k to pay creditors. Be like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, people would be outraged. Yeah. And so, so, you know, Coinbase, maybe this isn't quite an endorsement of it, but it's, it's a great fiat gateway. Yeah. But is it a great place to store your crypto? Absolutely not. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, so outside of cold storage, do uh, you have certain like wallets that you recommend to people to check out MetaMask or any of the others? Um, I actually, so I, I do, I don't have like a, you know, a, a, a approved list or yeah. a favorite list, but I do recommend against MetaMask actually. And the reason for that is that there's been several vulnerabilities yeah. um, and there's also been several phishing attacks with it recently. So yeah, usually not MetaMask actually, um, at least not storing it on there. You know, if we want to do a little transaction on there, great. But uh, yeah, no, usually I haven't had to worry about that yet just because uh, for pretty much all the clients, either it's, it's an insignificant amount enough that it's not, it doesn't really make sense for them to go to the, the, the trouble and the cost of paying for cold storage and it's okay for it to be on exchange. Or it's significant enough that, you know, we don't even think about one of the other walls. We just, we just do cold storage. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, so you mentioned earlier that you're pretty involved in uh, the ETH community. What, what did you mean by that? Like, are you just following the development? And, and Yeah. So what, what I, what I really meant more by that was that um, Ether was the first crypto that I invested in. Yeah. And my investment was appreciating extremely fast. And it was a technology that I was fascinated by, but I didn't learn, you know, I didn't know a ton about it. And so once my investment started going up, I was like, well, shoot, I need to learn more about this because should I take my money and run or should I keep it in there? Yeah. Um, and that's kind of when I really got sucked into the black hole or uh, yeah. learning about blockchain tech and distributed yeah. ledger tech. Um, the ETH community as a whole, though, I'm not super involved in right now. Yeah. I would love to be more involved. And I'm actually moving to Denver, uh, and in Denver, I'm going to get really involved with the crypto community there. Just because okay. where I lived beforehand, you know, I was two hours away from the nearest Bitcoin meetup. And I'd go to it monthly, but I just couldn't go to all the other things that would happen. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. So I actually used to live in Denver. I went to school in Boulder. Um, never went to a crypto meetup out there. Is the community pretty strong? Yeah, there's actually several as far as I know. Um, and my, my sources could be wrong. But it seems like Denver is basically uh, second in being a crypto hub to Miami. Um, oh, really? Huh. Which which played a factor in my decision to move there. It wasn't the deciding factor at all. But, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I know Denver's great. You'll love it. It's uh, it is fun. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, let's see. I mean, um, I'm just looking at my notes here. I mean, if you have anything you want to kind of throw on top here, as far as this conversation goes, feel feel free. Um, Let's see. I think, um, you know, I think one thing that would be valuable to just other advisors listening to this is that uh, it's okay to not be an expert in crypto and still have a conversation with your clients about it. Yeah. So, 
you know, I, I think some advisors just feel like they can't talk about crypto at all, which is good for my business. But, uh, you know, I want everyone to win here. Yeah. And I think just having, um, you know, a, a baseline knowledge of it, you don't need to know the depths of how cryptography works and all of that, but just kind of what blockchain is and then the main cryptos. I think usually that's all the clients are worried about. Um, and usually they don't expect you to know which crypto to buy or when to buy it. And you can easily explain why that's impossible to know. Um, yeah. But knowing the, the tax strategy, um, or at the very least, knowing the tax impacts and consequences of, uh, of different crypto events, I think is the ways that advisors are going to add value aside from you know, risk management of it just as an asset and then the psychological handholding that can be necessary during the booms and the busts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so on that podcast earlier today, uh, he's the guy I was talking to is not necessarily um, a no coiner. He just is a little more skeptical. Um, mm-hmm. And he kind of takes it from the view. And this goes to your point about you don't have to know everything about it, but it's more right. about just applying what you know as an advisor in terms of risk management and like, how is this going to affect your plan, your goals, whatever. Right. So like, you know, uh, for him, like m- the vast majority of his clients are maybe allocating one to 5% to it. So if it goes right. to zero, not going to ruin their plans. Right. But right. for a client like yours, you know, if they've got a significant slug tied up in it, like going to zero could potentially be problematic. So, right. And I mean, that's one of the first things that I would, would go over with them uh, yeah. because we can't have it. We can't have that risk in there. Yeah. 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 Um, have people ever responded kind of unfavorably to it in terms of like the initial conversation saying, Hey, like you're investing in some weird shit, bud. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Yes, actually, uh, basically every single one of my clients when they onboarded and when one of those first recommendations was, Hey, I think you need to sell this, this amount of it, whatever it is, uh, so that we can be properly allocated according to the risk that you can afford to take, the risk you want to take, whatever it is. Uh, basically, every single one of them, uh, it's been a process to get them yeah. to diversify. And I think now that the market's going down, and when the you know what's uh, what's the Warren Buffett quote? No one knows you're swimming naked until the tide goes out. I think I butchered that, but yeah, uh, when the market's going up, it's it's really really hard to understand yeah. why you need to sell. Because if you sell, you make less money. Um, and it was, it was a really long process for them to sell. And a lot of it was, you know, hey, you know, how much would you be willing to commit to sell? How much are you able? Are you willing? Are you ready to sell now or to set up regular sales so we can get you to that point where your plan isn't dependent on crypto? You yeah. know, Bitcoin being at $60,000. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and so for a lot of that, it was just, you know, the psychological side. So much of it's the psychological of uh, just helping them take small steps toward the end goal. Um, yeah, because not a single one of them just said, well, great, Zechariah, you just told me to sell 30% of this thing that's most of my net worth, and I'm okay with that. Yeah. Uh, most of them, it's been a process. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I can and and every single one of them now with the markets crashing is very thankful that we did it. I, oh, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure you earned your yeah. fee for a while. Uh, with, <laughs> yes. With yes. all Especially that. Especially with the, the one that, uh, the one going through uh, the master's oh, degree. Yeah. yeah. That would yeah, have been yeah. really unfortunate. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. 
yeah, it's just, just like me thinking about it. It's just like terrifying. Um, right. Kind of hurts to think about. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, it does. I mean, you know, everyone says that like money doesn't buy happiness, but it certainly alleviates like a lot of problems. Like right. not, not having money when you have other things do can really cause problems, you know? Um, <laughs> yep. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, how, uh, so like these days, as far as practice goes, like are, are people finding you online just through kind of LinkedIn? And I, I think you'd mentioned you were pretty big on social, right? With um, how you get your name out there. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if I would describe myself as big, yeah. but, um, but I do try and have a regular presence specifically on LinkedIn. Although I'm shifting that actually to Instagram and TikTok. Yeah. Um, and yeah, just to, to add value, to educate, entertain and inspire. Um, and so I'm, I'm pulling up my, my practice snapshot spreadsheet right here. Yeah. And let me just, let me just give, give you the numbers. So, uh, 38% of my clients or 38% of my revenue is directly attributed to LinkedIn. Um, 32% is directly attributed to advisor referrals, which I would say that that 32% oh, and 33, uh, I would say that 33% is because of LinkedIn. Because I don't think that these advisors would be referring these fairly larger clients to a 23-year-old who started the firm out of college if it wasn't for the trust that I had been building through my social media presence um, and the credibility so, that I'm building. So these that. are specifically financial advisors referring you people. Yeah, yeah. And the reason for that is that, you know, I think if you think about how the traditional financial advisor model works, you yeah. either manage uh, assets and you know, the assets you manage or you sell products and you yep. get commission the products. Yep. But the thing is for a 30 year old software engineer with equity comp who has 80% or 90% of their net worth in various cryptos, and they don't really need financial products that they already have disability insurance through their employer, they already have life insurance or they don't need it. How is a regular financial advisor going to make money off that client? It's just not going to make sense for them. Yeah. So yeah. It, it just makes sense for them to send it to me, which is, which is great. It works for all of us. Yeah. And then for, you know, for me, the, the, the classic, you know, retiree with $3 million who most advisors would rule over. I don't, you don't care. Them. Yeah, exactly. And so I'm going to send them to them. So it just, it just naturally makes sense. Okay. Um, Interesting. But yeah, right there, you know, 32% and 38%. That's uh what? 71% uh, of my revenue right there, which that's huge. And the other part, you know, friends that signed on with me when I started, uh, that's 21%. And then, um, various other sources is like 8%. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. No, dude, that's, that's awesome. Um, I'd be curious to kind of dig into your LinkedIn stuff that you do, because I mean, in my day job, uh, you know, this, I work for snappy crack and then we're marketing automation. Right. I mean, we help advisors every day, you know, get leads, engage clients, you know, more prospects, referrals, all that stuff. Um, right. But, you know, LinkedIn, like social is tough, right? Like it's mm -hmm. not something mm -hmm. that you just go post and all of a sudden you've got people knocking down your door. So maybe... There's no shortcut. Oh, yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> like even, even with Snappy, there's no shortcuts. You still got to do the work, right? Right. Um, but yeah, maybe talk a little bit about just like what you do on LinkedIn. Like are you using any sort of like software tools or is it just original content you're creating? Like how do you kind of you know, build this audience on LinkedIn? Yeah. So uh, the software and the tools that I use 
I use occasionally uh, Hootsuite, which I'm guessing okay. most people here are familiar with, to schedule or automate my posts. Yeah. And so I can write them before. And yep. then I use uh, Microsoft Whiteboard, which is basically fancy Microsoft Paint okay. uh, on my <laughs> Surface Pro. And then yeah. I use my Surface Pro Pen. I'm not sponsored by Microsoft uh, okay. to right, make my drawings. Yeah. Um, and the the goal with fr- from the beginning with social media for me was simply, like I said before, educate, entertain, inspire. Um, do at least one of those things, aim to do all three, because uh, in providing value to your network and giving away, you know, 95 and 99% of what you do for free, I think that the ones who are going to hire you anyway, they're going to pay for it anyway. And the ones who aren't going to hire you are going to find the information on their own, regardless of whether or not it's from you. Um, so just providing value, providing education, and putting yourself out there as an authority and as a source over yep. and over and over again, I think it's just the key to success in social media. And then it, it just takes so much time to find your voice. You know, when yeah. I first started on LinkedIn, my content, you know, kind of sucked. Yeah. Uh, and now that I'm transitioning to testing out, you know, being consistent on Instagram and TikTok and then reposting that content to LinkedIn instead of the other way around. Yeah. I think my content, you know, it's not horrible right now because I've had a bit of practice now with content creation, sure. but it's not great. Yeah, yeah, that's okay. You know, you just got to find your voice. You just got to do it. And over time, you'll get better. Um, yeah. 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 So, I mean, dude, same thing with this podcast. Like I, uh, I've picked up a few tricks here and there, but this is episode number five. So you can uh, add that to your uh, accolades. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, you know, I mean, this is a new effort for me. Like, I mean, I know for a lot of advisors, they're all curious about podcasts too. And I think like you said, I would just, just start doing it. Right. Like exactly. as long as you get it incrementally better every week, every two weeks, every month, like down the road, you know, it, it'll probably be something for you. Um, but yeah, you can't get too hung up on having some like masterful sort of social media presence when, right. when it's just not going to happen. <laughs> yep. You just got to do it. It's not going to be perfect. You just yeah. got to do it. And yeah. then, you know, one thing that my personal trainer said to me, uh, people think that, uh, what is it? Competence precedes action, but actually action precedes competence. I think I got that right. Um, and so, you know, just doing it, you're going to suck at first, but eventually you get good at it. Yeah. Uh, whereas I think that, you know, human nature, fear of failure, uh, fear of rejection, whatever it is, we want to be good at something and then do it in front of everyone. Yeah. That's just not the way social media works. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, well, I mean, so how has like the whole, so you've been at what social for a year or two, right? Yeah. So I don't know exactly, but I started posting fairly consistently on LinkedIn, let's say like August, September of 2020. Okay. Um, and I didn't get my first clients directly from LinkedIn probably for nine months. And, um, and were you doing any outbound to your followers or were you just, is, was there? No. So I don't do really any outbound. Okay. Um, I'm sure that I'm leaving money on the table there, but yeah. I just don't think that it's one of my strengths yeah. and I'll, a, a farmer, if you will, not a hunter, because I believe that farming is scalable, whereas hunting, I might start off faster, but I don't think that eventually, uh, you know, it's, it's just not a scalable eventually. Um, oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you could get your social media, right. You'll be busier than you could ever be just by targeting people. Right. Right. Yeah. And, um, you know, in the, in the last few months, I've probably been getting 
at least five calls a week. Um, not, not all from qualified prospects, but still that's, that's what's that 20 people reaching out per month. Um, and my goal is simply to add on, uh, six to eight really high quality clients each year. And I'm actually not going to do more than that. I'm capping it. Um, so that's perfect for me and my goals right now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what, what are like the stats on your LinkedIn? Like how many connections do you have? Does that matter to you? Or is it more about followers or? Um, I don't know how many connections I have. I know that I have uh, just over 9,000 followers. Oh, wow. That's um, pretty substantial. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't feel real when I say it, but uh, considering that I started out with like, you know, maybe 500 uh, it's it's been an exciting journey and I've been really yeah. blessed by people's support. Um, and like I was saying, you know, just add value consistently and keep on doing it. Um, but yeah, let's see what, what metrics do you want to know aside from, from followers? Oh, well, I mean, part, part of it is just curious for me too. Cause like I've got 25 or no, 2200 LinkedIn connections right now. Um, and most of them are financial advisors. That's kind of where I'm mostly taking this podcast, but, um, mm-hmm. I haven't really flipped the switch to trying to generate followers just yet. Uh, that's honestly something I should probably do in the next couple of months, but, um, so all this was organic for you, huh? Like just, yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you count, uh, connecting with people up to the maximum connection amount each week as organic, yes. Okay. Um, So, so you were reaching out and just saying, Hey, want to connect type stuff. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, but even still, like most of that didn't come from that, you know, if we just do the math, um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Do you do any paid advertising on LinkedIn of any sort? No. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think that just with the way that LinkedIn's algorithm works, you know, this could be me being ignorant, but, uh, it seems like the people who are content, the algorithm puts it in front of them. And with, uh, with my content, you know, at, at first I was a little bit, uh, what's the word perplexed because most of my engagement, pretty much all the engagement was financial professionals. Yeah. Um, but what I saw is that every single client that's reached out to me directly from LinkedIn. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Every single one was not someone who consistently engaged on my posts. It was just someone who was watching them. Okay. And, yeah, yeah. You know, if, if that's the way it's going to be like, I'm all right with that. Yeah, you know? sure. Great. <laughs> yeah. Easy. Um, so thinking about Instagram and TikTok, like mm-hmm. what do you have a slightly different approach for those platforms than LinkedIn or is it just the same thing or? So, I mean, my approach on LinkedIn is um, I, I do the drawings that I do that most people know me for. Um, and I think that those uh, they're unique. Not many people do them yep. and they're colorful. They catch people's eye. And I think that's enough, honestly, people to yeah. read them, to get people to engage, to follow you. Um, with Instagram, TikTok, obviously a completely different platform, completely different uh, expectation that people go on those apps uh, with. So I'm really going to be focusing a lot more on that entertain of the entertain, educate, inspire. Yeah. Um, and that's going to be, uh, you know, a lot, a lot more video content. Yeah. Um, yeah. And with LinkedIn, you know, I can kind of get like super nerdy, businessy, business geeky, whatever, like, like I am. Yeah. Uh, but I think that it's just going to be a new process of finding my voice now, 
uh, we're still educating, but doing it in a more fun, entertaining way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, did, uh, did you ever consider your, or like anticipate yourself being, um, uh, an influencer, right? Like uh, <laughs> a linked influencer. Uh, yeah, no, yeah. I did not. Um, <laughs> no, I still joke about it. I think it's so funny. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But no, uh, I mean, I'm all right with it. Uh, yeah, but I, I, mean, I think it's, yeah, I, I just, I think, um, quality over quantity. So, you know, it's great that this quantity has a mass and 9,000 is nothing to scoff at. It's not, it's also not a ton. You know, like there's so many people out there who have 10 more followers and generate yeah. a ton more business than I do. Yeah. Um, but I'm happy with it. And, uh, sure. yeah, 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 no, dude, that's, um, that's great. Like I, uh, when we when we originally connected, I I had no idea that your uh, LinkedIn following was so uh, robust. Like that's well, I mean, hey, it's sustaining you. You're generating inbound leads. People want to talk to you on the things that you advise on. Like the vast mm-hmm. majority of advisors I talk to would be thrilled to have that. So. Yeah, no, I am thrilled about it. Um, it's almost surreal to think because I mean, starting out, like like I said, like six to nine months of posting consistently of putting hours and hours every week into making content and seeing no results. Yep. Uh, it, it's kind of like, you know, you're on a hike and you feel like you're at the top of the mountain. And then two hours later, you feel like you're at the top of the mountain. You're like, when is it going to happen? Yeah. Um, and is it going to happen? Yeah. And it does. And you just got to keep on putting more in at the top of the funnel and eventually it's going to get to the bottom. Yeah. Um, so- but yeah, it's, yeah. Well, so you you touched on something about like just the hours that you put in, like mm-hmm. start, starting out, how many hours a week do you think you actually put into just trying to create content? Definitely 15 plus. Oh, uh, yeah. 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 And part of that was, you know, I had no clients. Yeah. And what else <laughs> yeah. am I going to spend my time on? Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's that's definitely something that people kind of everyone wants original content. Nobody wants to do the work for it. Exactly. Right. And I think it's because of the disconnect between when you start investing time and when you actually see the rewards. Um, and you would and, say it was what, like six months at least before things started to kind of trickle in? Oh, more. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't, I can't give you the exact date when, when the first person that reached out to me yeah. uh, and became a client who purely just followed me and LinkedIn and found me that way, but it was months and months. Yeah. Um, but now, you know, it's almost surreal to say, but like, over a five-year period, the value of the LinkedIn content I've been making, assuming that I don't lose all the clients, yeah. is going to be worth like well in the six figures, yep. which is kind of insane to think about. Yeah, uh, but you know that's the power of LinkedIn. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, I mean it's it's by far the social network I'm most active on. Mostly, I'm a ghost, Same. but um, interesting. Okay. Um, I mean, do you do any kind of traditional type stuff, seminars, webinars and on crypto and kind of how you do things or? No. And again, I'm sure that I'm leaving money on the table there. And yeah. I probably should pay for a course on how to do that sooner or later. Yep. Uh, because I'm sure that I could be funneling people from the audience into the seminars. Uh, sure. But not yet. No. Yeah. 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 Definitely on the radar. Definitely on the radar. Yeah. yeah. Um. Let's see. I mean, anything else you, you got here? I mean, we can keep going. We're almost at an hour here, which is nuts. That went by super fast. Um, like what, what would, I guess let's, uh, let's start to kind of wrap it up here. Like what would you, what would you leave 
let's do it these like in a couple of ways. So what would you leave advisors with and what would you leave clients with as far as, you know, how to think about, you know, wealth management and crypto? So just two separate things, but advisors and clients, what would you kind of say? I, I think I would say the same thing to both of them. Uh, okay. And that is that we are in, you know, the early days of crypto investing. Um, and so, you know, the number one rule is you can't invest more than you can afford to lose. Uh, yeah. And yeah. that's basically the biggest value that I've brought to my clients. You know, I'd love to say that I've like saved them tons in taxes, which I have. Uh, but, but really the biggest value is just been making them stick to the rules. Yeah. Um, and so you can't invest more than you can afford to lose. Uh, you need to do your own research. You need to diversify your research because everyone has an angle. I have an angle. I try to be unbiased, but I definitely have an angle, um, whether or not it's apparent or not, um, or not an angle, but a bias. Um, sure. And then uh, you've got to plan for taxes. You've got to be proactive about the taxes. And yeah, that was yeah. the thing that hit me when I first started investing in it. Um, okay. But then the last thing is just, uh, you know, we're in the, we're in the infancy. Uh, there's no worldwide adoption yet. There's probably worldwide maybe awareness. Yeah. But there's, there's barely uh, even a framework of the regulations that we need for adoption. And the thing that I tell people with crypto is that you have to be careful because of that. It's extremely speculative. You know, it's not Amazon in 2012. It's Amazon in 2000, maybe. Yeah. Um, and all these sweetheart crypto products that are out there, there's no guarantee. In fact, it's probable that they won't be there in five or 10 years. And even the ones that are, you know, we, we can't uh, know how to value them because there's no PE ratio. You know, there's no price to book ratio, yeah. there's no assets, no income, no revenues uh, to back these valuations, these market caps. And that's that's why we have to follow those rules. That's why you can invest more than you can afford to lose. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that, that's what I would say to people. Okay. Uh, you know, a, a relevant a relevant meme is I saw something that said, you know, Ether's up 60% this week. It must have beat earnings. Yeah. Uh, which it, it didn't. Like, you yeah. can't really explain why. I mean, you can't explain what you can't explain. Um so that's, that's what I leave people with. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, it spawned one more question for me. So you said taxes. What do you think is the biggest thing people make uh, as a mistake as far as taxes go for crypto? Is it related to trading, just moving in and out or? Well, so, I mean, I think the biggest mistake for a while, less so now, was not realizing that crypto to crypto is a taxable event, um, which I didn't realize that, which led me to my blunder in 2018. Yeah. But then... Yeah, yeah. Cash to crypto is taxable, uh, or rather, well, crypto to cash. Do that. But um, crypto, crypto to cash, to is, cash taxable, is taxable, and then crypto to crypto is taxable. And okay. so, almost every action that you take with crypto, uh, you got to think about the taxes with it. Yeah. And then uh, the other thing that I'd say is that I think the biggest blunder is people just don't know what their options are. So yeah. they don't know that they could take out a super over collateralized loan on their crypto and still uh, decrease their risk exposure while also not paying short-term gains tax and holding it out through the deadline for the long-term gains tax. Yeah. And that's a 20% boost right there. Um, or they don't know that in certain situations, having options or futures uh, might be the right decision for them. Um, or they don't know that they could put their crypto in an IRA 
or Roth IRA yeah. uh, and potentially save huge amount in taxes, or they don't know that they shouldn't be investing. Well, disclaimer, this is not for everyone, but they don't know that they probably shouldn't be investing in the publicly traded Bitcoin trusts because they have super high fees and there's better ways to invest in them. Yeah. So yeah. I think, I think the, the biggest mistake is just people uh, taking action before they know all of their alternatives available to them. Yeah. Yeah. I can see and that's that. where I come in. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and yeah, here's, yeah. Here's the plug to Zechariah. Go check him out. There's the plug. Buy my goods and services, please. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, dude. Um, well, yeah. I mean, uh, unless you have anything else, I think we're in a good place to wrap. I mean, I, I really appreciate you coming on. Well, we should definitely do it again. I'd be curious to unpack. Um, if you got more to say on taxes, I think a lot of people would be curious to, to hear about it, particularly the advisors. So um, maybe that could be the next round. Yeah, no, I, it was an honor to be here. Really appreciate all y'all that are still listening. And <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, super excited to do it again. Cool, dude. All right, we'll sign it off here and then uh, we'll catch everyone on the next one.